the third chapter of our text this morning. We're studying God's house, continuing into the countdown on this series of studies. And uh, Hebrews, the third chapter. This has been a good study, hasn't it? God's house. Looking over the ideas, you begin to read, you read the scriptures and, and you see where it's continually said, the house of God, God's house, and, and it has a lot involved into it when you begin to study it out and see all of the things that are involved in being a part of God's house. And I wonder for the sake of just refreshing our minds this morning, a week has passed since many of us have looked at our notes on last Sundays <laughs> and have thought anything about God's house. And let's kind of refresh our minds and, and, uh, and uh, recap on some of the things we've looked at on this subject. Let's begin, first of all, by someone reading Hebrews, the third chapter, the first through the sixth verses. Somebody has that, you can read it real loud for us, all right? And then 1 Timothy, chapter 3, verse 15. Uh, Bill? Uh, not Bill. Dan? Dan Atherton. That's right. <laughs> For me to look at notes and remember names and everything else uh, at one time doesn't work. So I point to people at uh, Sunday school. Let's, uh, let's read Hebrews 3, 1 to 6 to begin our study this morning. whose house we are. Talking about Christ, we're his house if we hold our faith and confidence until the end. 1 Timothy 3, 15. How thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God. I didn't, when someone would think of house, and in the context of the, of the text that we're dealing with, and whenever they would talk of it, think of a, a rich landowner, whenever you'd talk about Moses' house or God's house, what are uh, these key thoughts that, that involve a house? We have five key words that we're dealing with that, uh, over the overall involvement of a house, and I wonder if someone will just share that with us to start us off this morning. Yes. <laughs> Mortgage, interest, taxes. <laughs> Okay, uh, I believe everybody probably understands what they all are, but the house is talking about the physical and the spiritual house, right? Spiritual house, the family of God, it can involve not only the church of the Lord Jesus Christ that we are a part of, the body of Christ, but it can also, in a sense, involves the whole world. Because literally the whole world is a part of God's house. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And so in an overall view, uh, this is the ultimate goal as we studied under Mount Zion of God's house is bringing all things into subjection to Jesus Christ. And then the, uh, the householder, what would uh, that represent? How the householder? The owner, the Lord, he's over his house, the householder. And then the uh, next one we have is the people. We've done a study on the people. What then uh, would that, I guess it would be the people, right? People would be the people. <laughs> the household would be the people. And then we've done a number of studies on the people. What are some of the key thoughts of the people of God? We've done a study on the people of God are what? Okay, they're stewards. We're into that study right now. Okay, people of God, the promise, all right, just a minute. Okay, they're strangers in a foreign land. We did a study on that they're the pilgrim people. Okay, the children of God are a pilgrim people. All right, God's people remnant, a residue. Okay, we did that God's people are, all right, 
Here's the key. God's people are the laos of God, the chosen people of God. This is where the uh, one of the greatest hindrances to the revival that has been carried over from the Dark Ages and carried over from Babylonian religion is what? The priest and the laity mentality. The early church, we understand, didn't understand such a thing, did they? They were all committed. They were all had on the same level. They all had their own parts in the body, but they were all 100% committed to the Lord. And it wasn't until uh, later on, the third century or so, that they began to have the priest and the laity. Whenever Rome embraced Christianity and Rome accepted the Christian church and then many multitudes more, when it became popular to be a Christian, they ended up with the committed few, the priests, carry over from the old uh, uh, religions and then they had the laity that just came and uh, attended and went their way and lived the life that they lived and that carried on for centuries. In fact, it's still one of the things that is filtrated through the church in our day and time is the priest-laity mentality that uh, is probably uh, the greatest hindrance to revival there is, is that the responsibility of the ministering is not upon the shoulders of where it should be, isn't that right? The shoulders of the people. All right, then we also, something else about uh, God's people. Anything else we studied about God's people? Chosen people? Uh, a pilgrim people? Any other thoughts? All right, that's coming into the stewardship idea the, that uh, we're held uh, accountable to God for things. We studied Mount Zion, and then last week we began on the stewardship idea. The stewards of God, and there's going to be four areas of stewardship that we're going to study. We're going to study stewards of time, stewards of life. We're going to study stewards of, or we did study last week, stewards of econo economics. And then finally, we're going to uh, study stewards of the gospel. And last week, Brother Mitchell began a study on stewards of economics. And I wonder, as we look at that, anybody know the key thought that he was bringing out in stewardship of economics? There you go. This is the first thing, and this now what this ties in to what? The pilgrim people. Chosen people of God. It all ties into God's house. That it's God's house. The earth is the Lord's. Everything is God's. So we don't own anything was the first point. Everything belongs to God. Then there was another thought he brought out that we are stewards of things. And the problem is that people begin to worship things. Uh, things begin to be their driving force and we're simply stewards over things and then he gave us a third thought last week and that was that every steward will be accountable to God anybody remember the golden rule from last week <laughs> I tell you that stuck with me he who has the gold makes the rule okay so we have stewards of time stewards of life stewards of econo economics now, all of this brings us to the one we're going to study today. We'll be going back into stewards of time, stewards of life. But the main of all that stands out in everything of God's house would be the stewards of what? The gospel of Jesus Christ. Of all the trust that God has given us, our life, our time, our money, our resources, of everything God's given us, the greatest and most important trust that God has placed within the hands of his house is his gospel. And as we think of that, uh, you, you read a lot of books about managing your time. You can pick up a lot of things about uh, stewardship of your money. You can read a lot about all these types of things, stewardship of your life and the responsibility there. But... The greatest stewardship that we have is the gospel of Jesus Christ and what God has given to you and I, all of our other talents, whether it's uh, our money, our resources, our life, everything points to the gospel, as we'll see. Everything to do with God's house points towards the ultimate goal of God, and that is the propagation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so if there's anything that we need to be stewards over and where the church so often is failing in that involves the other talents also is the stewards of this message. That God gave to us, that Jesus Christ gave to his disciples, that's been passed down to you and I today, and that is the greatest privilege we have is the gospel of Jesus Christ. So let's look at a number of scriptures to begin this off, and, and I wonder if somebody will get Matthew 25, verse 14 for us. We'll just start over here. Anybody over here want to read Matthew 25? Uh, all right, Louis, you can take this one, then uh, uh, 
Matthew 16, 15. And then, uh, Brother Ron, if you'll take uh, 1 Corinthians 9, 16, and 17. And then 1 Corinthians 5, 18 to 20. If someone over in this area would like to help us this morning, all right, 1 Corinthians 5, 18 to 20. 1 Corinthians 4, 1. We'll take a lot of, all right, Kathy. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 2, 4. Mary, you want 1 Thessalonians 2, 4. Uh, Isaiah 22, 22. Don? And then Matthew 13, 11. Brother Van Dyke, Matthew 13, 11. And we'll go along with more scriptures as we go along. So here we have this morning the precious treasure that God has given to his church. Of all of the treasures that we have, he has given us the gospel. And let's begin by reading, of course, Matthew 25, 14, and then Mark 16, 15, which gives us the mandate and the Great Commission. Matthew 25. Okay, he's beginning by telling his disciples parables. He says, the kingdom of God is like a man traveling in a far country, going to be gone for a long time, and giving his servants his goods. And that's exactly what Jesus Christ did for us. He gave us his goods. He left and he gave it to his disciples. And in Mark 16, 15. And it's the Great Commission then that gives us the responsibility and gives us the motive for him giving us the gospel. The responsibility of the gospel is placed upon the church. Everybody's probably heard that story at some time or another where Jesus went to heaven, the angels greeted him there and talked about his work and, and uh, asked what he had done to ensure the, and guarantee the continuance of what he had started. And he said that he had left it with 12 men, 120 people there in the upper room. And the angel says, well, what if they fail? What other plan do you have? What's your second? He said, I have no other plan. And Jesus laid the responsibility and laid the uh, motive behind that is that the gospel of Jesus Christ go into all the world. This is what stewardship of the gospel is all about. This is what stewardship of time is all about. This is what stewardship of the economics is all about. This is what stewardship of life is all about. All of it points towards one thing, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ uh, going into all the world and establishing the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 9, 16, and 17. Okay, he said, Woe unto me if I preach not the gospel, because a dispensation of the gospel is committed unto me. The word dispensation in that text is exactly the same word, okonomia, that we're using for God's house, or the stewards of God's house. And so in this particular text, dispensation literally means God has given me a, a management responsibility of his household. That's what he said. Here was Paul the Apostle planting churches, doing the different things he was doing, and he said, I have been given by God a dispensation. If you look in the revised version of the Bible, that dispensation is the word steward. God has given me a stewardship of his gospel for this particular time, and he says it's committed into my hands, and he says, woe is me if I don't do it right, because I will stand accountable and responsible unto God. And as we look at the scripture, every Christian person has exactly the same dispensational responsibility towards God that he's given us. Whether it's in our own area of life, the world that we live in, we talk about it a lot, we deal with it a lot, but every one of us has a world, an area of our life, uh, friends, and we, are be, and we are given a stewardship of the gospel to touch those people and to share with those people that we're around. And he says here that God's given this to me, and woe is me if I preach not the gospel. 1 Corinthians 5, 18 to 20. Uh, did I tell you 2 Corinthians? I think it's 1 Corinthians that I... Did I say it? Who did I give it to? Oh, it's 2nd? Okay. Well, you 2nd. Right.
So we see the purpose of the gospel was to reconcile man to God and the relationship establishing with God. And he says, he has given unto us this blessed ministry of reconciliation whereby we are apostles, are ambassadors of Jesus Christ. In other words, he has given to us. Just think of this, friends. God has given to us the one thing that the world needs. He's given to the church. Above all else, of everything in the world, God has given to the church the one thing that the world has to have, and that's the gospel of Jesus Christ for their eternal salvation. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the answer for the world, and he's placed that within the hands of the church. All right, there it is. It's yours. Now you take it and be stewards over what I've given you. And then you look at what the church does with it uh, so much. Why do we have embassies and ambassadors in countries? Can anybody share that with me? You can consider the church kind of like that. Why do we have them? Okay, represent a country's political views and such in that country. Anyone else? Why we have ambassadors, embassies in countries? They speak for the country they stand for. We have them in almost every country of the world, probably, don't we? Every, uh, in fact, probably every country, just about. <laughs> just now. They work for protecting any of our citizens in that country. It's a direct channel between one country and another. I imagine that we have a, a direct line to every embassy, don't you? Just about. If it's possible to have it, which I'm sure it is. Any other comment? Why we have embassies, our ambassadors, in these countries? Yes. Okay. All right, so we begin to go along, and, and this is exactly what God has done. I wonder, you couldn't function in these countries we couldn't without an ambassador someone that is appointed by the president to go into these countries to live in that country to uh, establish make the decisions the, the ambassador's free to make decisions in these countries the ambassador uh, uh, signs contract does all types of things uh, on behalf of the united states of america the president of the united states he has direct contact with the president and we couldn't function in our countries and the world couldn't function in this type of uh, uh, world that it is without embassies. And exactly this is similar to what God has done. God has placed ambassadors upon this earth. We represent God on planet earth. We are here to uh, execute the business of God and uh, to take out and carry out the gospel, the purpose of God, the plan of God upon this earth in this particular uh, area of God's creation, the vast creation. Uh, in the future, perhaps, we'll be over more. Who knows? But now, upon this earth, and so God has made us stewards over the gospel and ambassadors of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what a tremendous thing, because this is what the world needs. 1 Corinthians 4, 1. All right, that a man so account of us as the apostles of Christ, as stewards of the mysteries of God. So up until this time, the plan of salvation has been a mystery. It's still a mystery to most of the world. It's still a mystery to even, and hidden to even perhaps the neighbors that live by us. It was a hidden treasure, if you study that out and look at the text, uh, hidden, like a hidden treasure, treasure chest. Filled uh, with mysteries, filled with the answers, and uh, God has given to his stewards, to you and I, the keys and the ability to bring forth those mysteries out of eternity and the eternal plan of God. That before God ever created this world, his eternal plan, he has revealed uh, to you and I as the church of God and given to stewards to bring forth through the preaching, through the living, through the witnessing, these mysteries to the world in which we live. What a privilege. If there's anything that we should get across in our minds today, it is the privilege that we have of having in our disposal access to our life and the knowledge uh, of these mysteries of God that we have, these precious jewels uh, that people uh, need so much in their lives. And then Jesus told this to his disciples in Matthew 13, 11. We are the partakers. He said, just give it unto you to know the mysteries. We are the partakers and we are the propagators of this blessed gospel of Jesus Christ. 
and he's placed it within the hand. This is what we're wanting to establish the first step this morning. And that rest of these scriptures, 1 Corinthians 2 4, or 1 Thessalonians 2 4. As we were allowed by God to be put in trust of the gospel we please not or speak not as pleasing men but as pleasing God first Timothy I don't know if I gave this to anybody 111 somebody to get that for us first Timothy 111 all right brother Dave uh, and then uh, first Timothy 620 there's something about uh, our idea as we are exposed to the gospel that we somehow lose this preciousness of this gift that Paul didn't lose this. I remember preaching in uh, Tarandrum or some little village in, in India and I was I think one of the first crusades in years that had ever been into this particular village where we were and there's a church established there but they had never really had any too much of outreach and here's the the hindu temple is standing there and in all these villages you have either the uh, in uh, india it's hindu temples uh, in a place like the philippines it's the catholic temples that are standing but you have these temples that are the main thing in the whole city just nothing there but then you see this mammoth temple standing and so we're right by the courtyard of this temple having a crusade and such as that and a uh, one man particular man got saved and got his heart right with God, a, a, a very educated man in that area. And I was staying off in a government bungalow that had no doors and no windows, just mosquito nets over the bed. And this uh, brother came up to my room uh, one afternoon and spent about half the day, two or three hours, and was talking. And, and he began to ask me how long I'd been preaching. And of course, I'd been in the church all my life. And I said, well, I'd just been serving God just about all my life, I guess. And then uh, he asked me about my dad. I said, my dad's a preacher and my granddad was a preacher. All of them Pentecostal preachers. I'm into the third generation. And uh, such a, a thing as this, this brother talking about my dad, my granddad, myself, how he, uh, uh, th this was so precious to him what had happened in his life and what he had received during that revival that, that he uh, uh, said, uh, why have you waited so long to come here to share it with me and tell me about it? Perhaps... You've had someone tell you something along that line, but there's just was something that was so precious. He'd been bound in Hinduism and all this type of stuff, had, had spent uh, uh, much of his money that he had earned on trying to see a god, a heathen idol, to get healed of his disease. And, and why have you waited so long to tell me of the gospel? And, and sometimes in America, this is the one thing that when you travel into these other places, as Brother Mitchell shared about the Philippines last week, how they went in the day before, passed out a few thousand flyers, drove around, made announcements, and 6,000 people came out to hear the gospel. And hundreds and hundreds accepted Christ. As the gospel goes over the radios and the TVs and all this kind of stuff all day long and all night long, and it's, we get it so much, it's easy to lose the preciousness that we have of the gospel. Friend, if you uh, could uh, walk in the streets of some of these places, many of you in the military probably have, some of the streets of these countries where the gospel isn't going forth. So even in our worst places in America, uh, the gospel has had an effect at least. If you go in these places where heathenism and Hinduism and all of this is just so strong and uh, it makes you appreciate the gospel. When you watch people bathing in a filthy, dirty Ganges River to wash their sins away or, or you watch uh, people taking the dung of a cow and, and making a little idol out of it and bowing down and you watch people taking a drink in the urine of a cow thinking it'll wash their sins away and you can go on and on and on down the list of the bondage of heathenism. And, and if we didn't have this precious gift of the gospel and if people had not been faithful stewards over it, uh, any one of us might be sitting there drinking the urine of a cow. Who knows, uh, friend, uh, because we'd be stupid in heathenism. Always say we couldn't on the west. Well, yes, friend, if the gospel had gone the other way, we'd be the ones doing that and they'd be the ones worshiping God than sitting in a sanctuary like you and I are. The most unreal heathenism bondage You're, you can comprehend in these heathen places whether you go into villages where there is no gospel demon possession 
is, uh, is uh, in a way that we never see it hardly in America. They, you begin to preach the gospel in the village to where the heathen cults are, and, and they'll just begin to cry out. I've had them uh, uh, come down the middle aisle just uh, uh, screaming, rolling down the aisle, ripping their flesh, uh, and because of heathenism and bondage. And what a pressure we don't realize. Uh, what a precious thing is. Even though uh, the sin many were in and God blessed us and brought us forth the preciousness of the gospel of Jesus Christ and how wonderful it is to know Jesus, how wonderful it is to have this holy scripture and to be set free by knowing the truth and the truth sets us free. Hallelujah. I almost want to stop and praise God right now. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. First Timothy 1 Timothy one eleven. He begins to tell them about things they shouldn't do, laying down laws and stewardship to him of his own life. He says, I'm telling you, it's according to the glorious gospel, amen, that was committed uh, to my trust. And then uh, the next one is 1 Timothy 6, 20. Okay, let's... let's stop there just a moment and let's just ask this plain question with what we've said what is the gospel everyone ought to know this it just what is the gospel nobody knows <laughs> all right the fact that jesus died for us and that we could come from sin into a relationship with god We don't have to, this is exactly what people that don't have the gospel are trying to do, is pay for their sins. See, in, a, in the Western world, we have a way, uh, with all of our money and our recreation and our uh, ways, to put all kinds of fronts up. In America and in the Western world, we can be so miserable and eaten up with sin and tormented by sin that we can put such a front up when buying this and doing that that it, it doesn't show but when a person is at the bottom as it is in a poverty state that you can't hardly comprehend and uh, they have no, uh, so nothing to uh, throw a front up, they're just clean open recognizing they're sinners and trying everything they can to get free from that guilt that they feel, not covering, they're just free from trying everything and endless life trying to get free from that guilt and can't get free from it because they don't have the gospel of Jesus Christ and what we have. Someone else. You see, true. And you, they had a skit last night in the door of uh, a couple inheriting a, a million dollars from uh, Reader's Digest. <laughs> All of us wish for that. But anyways, you begin to see, they gave a skit uh, what it, a little bit of what it did to their life and how another couple that was in poverty simply inherited the gospel of Jesus Christ and how their life was changed. See, we're talking about something, friend, the world needs more than what Saudi Arabia's got. Something the world needs more than oil. Something uh, uh, the world needs more than uh, fresh air. Something the world needs more than uh, any of these things. They're having uh, one of the worst famines they've ever had in East or West Africa. I believe it is right now if you've uh, uh, seen any appeals on that. And I've read a little bit about it. One of the worst they've ever had. And they said if something doesn't happen, they don't get enough food in the next few months. That millions of people will starve in West Africa. And, uh, but there's something that we've got that West Africa needs more than food. It's hard to believe this, but it's something the church needs to understand. That God has laid in us. He didn't lay uh, masses of riches in the church. He didn't lay uh, uh, unlimited uh, resources, so to speak. But he gave us the one treasure that the world needs most of all, and that is the treasure of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And every one of us, whether rich or poor... friend that uh, that is the difference between life and death heaven and hell uh, and uh, people's lives and we have that treasure in our, in our disposal every person in this place god gave that beautiful treasure as wonder what it'd be like if someone had given us or given you a treasure to to administer for them and we'll look at that in just a moment the first commodity the world needs is the church so we have the, the gospel that's been entrusted to the laos of god the people of god we have the keys 
And Isaiah, as uh, the faithful, unfaithful steward of David, the Bible says that God took the keys away from him, meaning uh, Israel gave it unto Jesus Christ, are the faithful steward. It's in Isaiah, the 23rd chapter, uh, and says that he would have the keys, and Jesus Christ gave to his church the key to the gospel, the key to the unlocks and opens the door. So we have the keys uh, that takes it out. We have the mandate, that is to reveal this to the world, uh, and the process, which is of uh, making disciples and establishing churches. Then, as an administrator, as an administrator, of somebody's precious commodity. If you were a stockbroker, anybody here a stockbroker? And someone placed, a, someone very wealthy just placed their whole wealth at your disposal, what would be some of the things that you would be expected of you and you'd have to do to please that person? They place their wealth in your hands, what would be some of the things? Number one, that's, that's the first, you have to protect their investment and make sure they get increase from it. How long would you be a wealthy person stockbroker if you never got an increase for him? If all the time the reports came back uh, exactly the same way. Kathy, you had your hand, same thing. All right, the first thing then as a stockbroker is uh, that you'd have to give increase. What's something else that would be uh, something as in charge of their precious treasure? Total administrator. The administrator means that you're able to make decisions. You're able to uh, uh, work with it. He lays it totally in your hands and he doesn't even know what is his except that you are the one in charge. So what's something else would be expected? All the way, Brother Mark. You have to be trustworthy where you don't rip him off. Amen. Are those uh, people, are you able to find those kind of stockbrokers in this day and time? Uh, is that what you're going to say? Brian, all right. Uh, all right, so uh, you have to be trustworthy so you don't rip him off. Any other thing before we go the next step? What would be required? If, if you say, say you did have a bunch of money. Is that what you'd want most of all? First of all, trustworthy stockbroker, right? Faithful. It's required of a steward. We'll read that he's found faithful. That you increase it for him. Somewhat of a reputation before he'd ever put it in your hands. So this comes along with the more responsibility that he gives us comes from faithfulness in a small things before we're faithful in a large thing. Somebody's just wanting to go right out into the business of being a stockbroker and uh, over somebody's business. Hey, you're not going to get a multimillionaire to lay a few million on you right off the bat. Here you are 20 years old and you're just going to go right out there. They're going to see your proven reputation and your faithfulness and your ability to increase. Uh, and as the more you are, the more that they'll lay upon it in your hands. Have increased, there has to be investment, all right, that's a good thought, okay? Okay, there's another one. He would expect you to invest it wisely. And we'll look at that as we go along, but if there's one thing that the church of Jesus Christ has failed in many times is investing the Lord's greatest treasure wisely. In other words, where the Spirit of God is moving at the timing of God and the cadres of God that Brother Mitchell shared about, it's important that the church be aware and invest wisely in what God wants. Let's read some scriptures along this line. I'm going to read uh, Matthew chapter 25 where we were earlier and the uh, 14th verses on down through there about the steward and uh, that all of us have read many times. And I want someone to get 1 Corinthians 4, 2 for us if they will. All right, Brother Dave and Genesis 39 Verses 4 to 6, uh, all right? Uh, Genesis 39, and then Genesis 41, 40, all right? Genesis 41, verse 40, all right? Uh, 1 Corinthians 4, 2 gives us the very first thing that was mentioned. If you are a steward, how many consider yourself a steward of the gospel? Well, that's most of us. Amen. All right, so you consider yourself a steward of the gospel. So number one, the first requirement of a steward of the gospel is 1 Corinthians 4, 2. Paul's talking about stewards of the gospel. He's given a unique authority. He's a full authorized representative. When I think of myself, and that most people wouldn't trust me with a lot of things they had perhaps, but the Lord would make me a full authorized representative of his kingdom. The president would make me an ambassador to uh, uh, the smallest country, uh, Tasmania. He wouldn't make me an ambassador anywhere. 
He wouldn't uh, uh, give me a response. The governor wouldn't give me a responsibility anywhere in the place. But here the Almighty God Creator took every one of us, no matter uh, what our standing is, and has made us a full authorized representative uh, to deal and to act uh, uh, on His behalf in all the affairs of life. At the same time, we're, of course, totally dependent upon Him. And let's look at uh, Abraham. Gives us the type of this type of stewardship. He's an old man. He's dying. He... Uh, has a top servant that has been with him through the years. Abraham has one thing that needs to be done. His son has to get married before he dies, or at least get married to the kind of woman that he wants. And he sends and lay, lays this responsibility. The greatest thing, yeah, the trust is the promised child. He says, put your hand upon uh, my bosom. And he did. He said, now promise and vow to me that you will go get my son uh, a wife at such and such a place, that you will uh, bring her back here, and, and, and that you will not uh, get anyone but this particular wife and this particular one. You know the story, and it was based totally upon dependability and faithfulness. This old man rested in the fact that this man will do what I've asked him to do. Genesis uh, 39, verses 4 to 6. Pontifer took this slave, a type of you and I, and as he found grace in the eyes of his master, he placed everything, all of his treasure at his disposal to the very point that it says he didn't even know what he had save the bread on his table. That's the authority of a steward. That's what God has given him. This man was totally able to invest it, work the field, do everything over the entire house. And God has done exactly as a picture of you and I. It was based totally upon faithfulness, totally upon dependability and trust. Genesis 40, 40, uh, 41, 40. Pharaoh. Over, he said, you should be over my house. When he talked about his house, he was talking about, of course, the kingdom of Egypt. He said, you'll be over all of this kingdom and only at the throne will I be a final authority. This is a picture of the kingdom of God, the house of God, that when Jesus left, he told us that we are over his house, his people. We are over his house. He's given to us uh, the total uh, resources, the gospel, and it's our job on this base totally upon faithfulness. Matthew 25. Verse 14, the kingdom of heaven is a man traveling into a far country who called his own service, delivered unto them his goods. Unto one he gave five talents, to another one, to every man according to his several abilities, and straightway took his journey. Then he that received the five talents went uh, and traded the same and made another five talents, and likewise he that received the two also gained another two. But he received one, went and digged in the earth and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord whose servants cometh and reckon with them. And so he that received five talents came and brought another five talents, saying, Lord, thou delivered unto me five talents. Behold, I have gained beside them five more. His Lord answered and said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of thy Lord. He also that received two talents came and said, Lord, thou deliverest unto me two talents. Behold, I have gained two other talents beside them. His Lord said unto him, Well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make uh, thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. Then he which had received one talent came and said, Lord, I knew that thou art a hard man, reaping uh, where thou hast not sown, and gathering where thou hast not strawed. And I was afraid, went and hid the talent in the earth, uh, and lo, there thou hast, that is thine. The Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful servant, thou knewest that I reap where I soweth not, and gather where I have not strawed. Thou oughtest therefore to have put my money to the exchangers, and then at my coming I should have received mine own with usury. Take therefore the talent from him, give it to him that hath ten talents, for unto every one that hath shall be given. He shall have abundance, but from him uh, that hath not shall be taken away even that which he hath. And cast the unprofitable servant into outer darkness, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. What's the key thought there? Anybody know? That we don't treat the gospel, amen, our brother's right, as dead capital. So much of the church is doing this that we don't treat it as dead capital. They, he was not that he was a uh, wicked servant is in the sense of uh, rebellious. It wasn't the fact that he was a uh, uh, un unfaithful in a sense, but his faithlessness came from the fact that he did not increase what was given to him. Friend, if you've been in the church world as long as I have, 
And you see, the masses of churches and people that have never increased what God gave them, whether it's a small thing or whatever it is, and, and he received no increase, uh, uh, the church is called to gather and to send like life to breathe in and breathe out uh, and see increase. And so the first responsibility that we have is the propagating of the gospel of Jesus Christ as stewards. Faithfulness, we've talked about propagating the gospel. The first responsibility is to see that this gospel is, is propagated. The two most characteristic words in the Bible is the word martyrum uh, that uh, uh, means to bear witness where we get our word martyr. And then the word that we get, uh, our word evangelize, or to evangelize are the most colorful words in the Bible. It means that God's church mandate is the, uh, to carry the gospel in such a spirit uh, of martyr above everything else. And the essence of the gospel is that it has to be propagated. The essence of the gospel, friend, as it may sound superficial and simple in our church this morning, but the essence of it uh, is that it has to be propagated. And the difference between faithlessness and faithfulness uh, is not dishonesty, uh, but it is whether we increased what God gave to us and made it with usury and into more. And this is where we get our missionary mandate. This is why this church does what we do and why we have a map with the different places of the world that we're planning churches because the missionary mandate is that every body of Christ, every individual of Christ somehow is involved in increasing the gospel of Jesus Christ and fulfilling that mandate of all the world. The second responsibility as stewards that we have this morning after propagating is practicing the gospel. As we propagate it, the second responsibility is that we practice it. If we do not practice the gospel and live the gospel, then we betray the gospel. We're in a generation that is full of this right now that proclaim it but not practice it. And friends, so therefore the second mandate as we as people uh, from proclaiming the gospel is that we practice it. We are living epistles known and read of all men. And no matter how much the gospel is preached without exampleship, it will never take root. This is the difference between going into a country and evangelizing and going into the country and planting churches. This is the difference between going in and holding crusades for a week and leaving and going in that country and planting workers. The difference is whether it takes root or not. The difference is whether uh, you preach the same gospel but without the exampleship in that place to establish the dominion and the example of what has been preached, the gospel is no good at all. If the gospel was preached by angels, it would do no good to this world. The gospel was just preached uh, uh, in some supernatural way. It would do no good at all. The only way the gospel does any good is that we preach it and live it at the same time. Is that we share it with those people and they see it in us at the same time. That we are the epistles, we read the epistles, and we're a living epistle. Without that, uh, friend, that's why it's so important that you and I, you and I, the gospel would have no effect if it wasn't for your life. If it wasn't that we could pinpoint and you could tell that your life being changed and the power of God, what Christ has done, uh, you could read it till you're blue in the face, you could preach it, you could proclaim it from the housetops, but unless there's a living proof of the gospel of Jesus Christ in the seats uh, and in the world, uh, the gospel becomes nothing. That's what an ambassador, one person said, it's better to see one any day uh, than to hear it many times. It's better to see a Christian and hear all about a Christian. This is why we go into these countries uh, and preach and they don't know anything about evangelism. Nothing about, uh, many times, a real holy life because people have come in, had their mass crusades and had their things, but nobody has many times stayed to be an example of what we're talking about, an example. So therefore, our job is to practice it and live it out. This is illustrated through the Bible. In a heathen world, Daniel had to practice it in a heathen world. Not only did he sh could share the message with Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar could look at him and say, the Spirit of God is in you, the king. Three Hebrew children had to live it. The only reason they made the Babylonian country and king find the Lord as their Savior and turn to the living God was because he could look at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were living epistles. They stood when everybody else was bowing, uh, and they became the book that he could see and that he could read. And so the second uh, principle that we have to have as stewards is that we have to practice it. This is why uh, in Titus it says that if you're going to be a bishop, he has to be the husband of one wife. He has to be above reproach. He has to be this. He has to be that uh, because he has to practice it or else when he preaches, what he preaches will never take root. What he says will never work. This is why people can preach the gospel and preach the same message and have no results because if they're not practicing the very thing in their life, it won't work. You believe that? There's a story I heard about a, a bank vice president that was up 
for the to be president of the bank and the person had resigned and was going to retire so he was the man he'd been faithful in the bank through the years he had been there and and so it was the day that the banker was going to call him in to give him uh, his promotion to the president of the bank and the chairman of the board was going to bring him in and they were at a restaurant a cafeteria and the banker's going the vice president's up ahead the chairman of the board's just in back eating his lunch also and he sees this man as he's taking his lunch simply take one of those two cent pad of butters and stick it under his plate so he wouldn't have to pay for it save two cents so the, the, the chairman of the board later that day called him in and instead of giving him the president's job, he fired him. And he fired him on the grounds that if you'll steal two cents worth of butter, you'll steal from the bank also if you have the opportunity. You see, in the kingdom of God, it's even more so, friends, that the life has to be above character if we're going to be promoting the kingdom of God because the level wherever we're at, if we rip God off, uh, we'll do it down the road. You believe that? All right, then there's the third one. Practice, propagate. And then the third responsibility as stewards that we have is preserving the gospel of Jesus Christ as a steward. These were brought out earlier in different ways, but uh, preserving comes out of practicing because it's only as we practice it are we able to preserve it. It's only as we live it and people see us live it that that preserves it. The gospel of Jesus Christ is preserved in living form. 1 Timothy 3.15. If somebody has that... Uh, can read it for us. You see the devil in our day and time. That was our text scripture. But the devil in our day and time. And always has done everything in his power to attack the plan of salvation. And the one thing from the day of Pentecost to the day that you and I are living. That we still have this pure, this clean, unadulterated gospel. Is because there has always been a faithful remnant of people that would be faithful stewards of the gospel and would preserve the gospel in its pure form. What a miracle. You've probably read the miracle of this book and how it came to us down through the ages and how it's the pure word of God and how God on his hand has brought all this book together. And to thank for it, it's because of the faithfulness of stewards that this book is still right here. And it's our responsibility then to preserve what God has given to us. The second generation syndrome that we hear a lot about. Revival falls into the second generation. It starts deteriorating and falling apart. That's because that second generation will not pay the price to preserve what was passed to them. That's because they won't pay the price to be, as our text says, the pillar of ground of truth. 1 Timothy 3.15. If someone has that real quick. Amen. Uh, Dave Burke has it. If I tell you that thou oughtest behave thyself in the church of God, which is the pillar. What's the pillar for? Can someone tell me? There was a study done on this a long time ago. What's a pillar for in a building? To hold it up. To uphold the truth, the pillar, the ground. So a pillar is to uphold the truth. The strong, uh, uh, the ground is then the stronghold of the truth. So the church of Jesus Christ becomes the pillar, the one that is upholding the truth. You and I have the stewardship mandate that we are to uphold this truth and keep it pure, uphold it as a beacon to the world, the seven candlesticks lighting uh, the world, and then to be the ground or the defense for the truth. It is our job through our lifestyle and through all that we do to defend the truth. Ephesians, the fourth chapter. I'm going to read the few verses there that we're probably, most of us, familiar with but it says these particular words in Ephesians 4 verse 11 uh, and he gave some apostles some prophets some evangelists and some pastor teachers for the perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry for the edifying of the body of Christ till we all come to the unity of the faith to the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ that we be henceforth no more tossed uh, to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive us. But speaking in truth love that you may grow unto him all things which is the head, Jesus Christ. He said, I've given us ministries that we won't be tossed to and fro with every wind and doctrine that comes along because our responsibility as workers of God, as teachers of God, as people of God, as the laos of God is to defend the truth. You see, a lot of things that's happening nowadays sounds good. 
Over the past 10 years that this church, uh, or say 13, 14 years that Pastor Mitchell's been in this church, there have been a lot of wind and doctrines coming around. How many know that? I'll tell you when, you, when I was out traveling in revivals, I didn't know half the time when I got in a church what they believed. I went, to, uh, I went in one church and preached a revival, and after I, I preached on hell, and after I was all done, I found out that church didn't believe in hell. <laughs> the preacher said, you wonder why nobody responded. I had a, a big old screen up there, and I had a volcano going off, and fire shooting up in the air, and, and all the lights are off, and I'm preaching on the rich man in hell, uh, and Lazarus in Abraham's bosom, and nobody moved. And he said, well, he said, I've taught them for years that there's no such a thing as hell. Well, you see, there's more wind and doctrines. The charismatic scene came out. And I'll tell you, everybody uh, wondered why you don't get involved in this and why you don't get involved in that. Because our job, my friend, when you defend the truth, things seem to come back around to the truth. You see many of the things that are happening and a lot of things that are starting to get squirrely now that look so good at one time. Our job as the church of God is, number one, to propagate the gospel number two our job as stewards is to practice the gospel number three our job as stewards is to defend or preserve the gospel of Jesus Christ and that ties all in together then our talents our life and our economics all ties together to point one direction to the propagating to the preserving and the practicing of the truth of Jesus Christ any comment at this point before we close Amen. If, if there's anything that this morning, just simply to get to our minds this morning, as stewards of the gospel, and we'll get into the rest next week, Brother Mitchell will be teaching his portion of the class. But if there's anything in our mind, is the preciousness of the gift that God's given to us to be stewards over. Amen. One more, then we'll close. Whenever a man takes a stand and defend the gospel, he becomes uh, a bigot. <laughs> or anything they want to say, uh, what they say about a man that will take a stand, this is the way it is, what we're going to do, this is what the gospel says we're going to hold to it. Thank you this morning, and we'll begin service in a, just a few minutes.